Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Edward Schuler, joined as always by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how you doing today, man? What? I am, uh, as we were talking before we started recording, a little deflated from last night. Mm. Uh, that game was, uh, had a lot of up and downs, uh, very, it's, it's turned into a much uh, more intense series than, series than it started out as, uh, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just, uh, it's crazy that you know, thinking that Jimmy was going to be in the finals again. And then that last second tip in, it was like so many little things too. It was obviously, you know, the boxing out wasn't there. Um, the ball bouncing a certain way. So white could get it. Uh, they, when they re- reviewed the foul on Jimmy, they added on some like ten, three tenths of a seconds, which would have made the difference too. All these different little things happened. Uh, yeah, and it, it's just kind of crazy because, like, Miami probably shouldn't even have been in that position to take the lead. Like, Boston is just – like, Boston's just so uninspiring, too. They're just – they, they have this, you know, double-digit lead, and then a, a, a team with Bam and uh, – Jimmy and Bam were just struggling. I think, like, you know, like I said before we were recording, I mentioned – they might have had like five field goals combined at some point in the fourth quarter uh, right. through four quarters. And then obviously Jimmy got going late and, you know, had some bu- couple of buckets and had that three and got to the free throw line a few times. Uh, but yeah, it was just, it was a lot of the Miami role players carrying the weight and like, yeah, the, that's, yeah, this is like, I just feels like Denver Nuggets are getting, four wins, four pretty, you know, relatively easy wins regardless of who they play at this point. But, yeah, we'll see what happens in game seven. Yeah, the the winner gets to turn, turn around in a few days and uh, head up to high altitude to face the Denver Nuggets for an ass whooping. So uh, it's a good prize. But, um, yeah, this has been one of the crazier series that, like, I've seen in a while. And, like, this is probably the biggest game seven outside of an NBA finals that we are probably going to see in a long time. So yeah. Uh, can't let, yeah. Can't let two Boston teams come back down three Oh man. This is not cool. <laughs> it's looking like, like it's gonna yeah, it's, it's looking like it's going to happen, unfortunately, but uh, it yeah. is. <laughs> we get a great game out of it, but I'm, I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, you know, meanwhile, you know, not as exciting discussion, but still valuable though. But you know, there's still, it's still, draft season for the Bulls and draft season without draft picks. So uh, not as great, but uh, fans are still thinking and trying to figure out if there are any scenarios where the Bulls can get some picks. Is it going to involve some big trades? Is it going to involve trading DeRozan, trading Zach Levine, whoever? Can they get a second round pick? I don't know, but it is draft season and there are going to be players that everyone wants. So we'll we'll see what happens with the Bulls in a few weeks on June 22nd when the NBA draft commences. So uh, we're bringing on today uh, someone who was actually at the NBA draft lottery and at the NBA draft combo. So he's just been all over the place and he, he does a great job covering the Bulls for CH Go. We've had him on here a, a bunch of times and I think one of my favorite shows recently that we had him on was when this team was, I think it was like the week after this version of this team was assembled 
with that all season with DeRozan and, and uh and Lonzo Ball, and, and we got to talk to him. It, it was just such a great show. But uh, joining us, covering the Bulls for CHGO, Will Godley. Will, thank you for joining us, man. My pleasure, guys. Great to be on here again. Yeah, Will, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know weekend mornings are always kind of uh, those uh, rough times, uh, but I appreciate you taking uh, the time to do it. Yeah, you guys uh, doing this – on the side and, and trying to find times, whether it's like in the middle of the week or on your work schedules, it's, I've been there. I know how that's, how that goes. It's, it's tough to, to find those times and those hours that work for both of you. So glad we could find some time, but uh, keep doing what you're doing. Cause you push out some great stuff. No, and you're killing it too with uh, CH go. And we have a lot of good friends over there with Matt and Mark and big Dave, just all crushing it over there. So uh, everyone just doing big things and we, and we love to love to see it. Uh, one of your uh, one of your pieces that you posted recently on CHGO uh, was like kind of like a behind the scenes of the NBA draft lottery, and I thought that was such an interesting read. Like, could you could you talk more about that? Like, what what was that like being in that room and and just seeing all of that play out, which is like basically it's basically the mo- like the most boring part of it, right? Like, we we see everything interesting on TV with the drama of when the picks are uh, revealed and everything like that, but you get to see the more like kind of like dry part of it, but it's still kind of interesting. So yeah, tell me, tell us more about uh, what you saw. Yeah, you hit it. Um, It is, there's a reason why they do it on TV the way they do it on TV. It's a really interesting experience to go sort of into the, the room and kind of get locked in there. Sequestered, they call it um, with, it's 14 executives or representatives from each of the lottery teams. And then a bunch of people from the league, a handful of media members. I think there was about 14 or 15 of us. And then some people from the accounting firm that, um, that picks out the ping pong balls from the machine and, and make sure everything is above board and kosher and all of that. Um, so yeah, we kind of congregated in the media room and the NBA PR people brought us down there had to like go through a metal detector and give them all of our phones and Apple watches and all that stuff so that we couldn't record and broadcast any of the information out because this whole thing is happening like an hour and a half, an hour before what you see on TV. So we're down there. The whole process is pretty quick. It was like 20 minutes to go through the whole lottery process. And then, um, you know, it's like almost, it's like six 30 or six 40 and you've got an hour before You've got 20, 30 minutes before the broadcast starts and then an hour before it finishes and you're able to head out of the room and and go join everybody in the sort of larger space where they actually host what you see on TV. So um, interesting to be down there and, and the actual process of picking out the ping pong balls is super interesting too because as you guys know, they're only really picking the lottery balls for the top four teams to see who picks order one through four um, because the rest goes according to standings uh, in reverse order. And so, you know, every team has a a certain number of combinations of ping pong balls that they own. And there's 14 ping pong balls in this machine. It spits out a ping pong ball with a number. The person who's um, in charge of the machine kind of like holds it out. So everybody can see what the number is. They repeat that process and whoever whoever's team owns that combination of numbers gets the pick. So they do it first pick, second pick, third pick, fourth pick. And so we're all just like hearts thumping, like ready to see who's going to have their franchise change for the next 15 years. And it like happens super quick because they do the first pick right away. And mm-hmm. so we we knew the Spurs had won it. Um, their general manager, Brian Wright was pretty calm. Uh, no like crazy reaction. Uh, the way that we saw on the camera, on, on the broadcast. And um, there was that video of Alvin Gentry a few years ago when they won the Zion lottery and he was losing his mind in, in the uh, in the um, drawing room. So no major reactions like that. And then they repeat the process three more times to see who gets second, third, and fourth pick. They did that. And like I said, we were just kind of hanging out and schmoozing until the broadcast was over. Oh, nice. So you guys... Um you guys get that information ahead of uh well ahead of time before it goes on like they do it live i didn't i didn't realize that like everyone knows already by that point 
I always thought that they kind of only like three people know the actual result. Like, like you guys are watching it, but like only like actually three people end up knowing the actual results or something like that. And then um, everyone finds out live, which kind of makes it even um, more kind of funny because like, I, I guess that, that's why maybe guys like Woj and Shams aren't invited in that because they're probably like tweet it, right? They're probably tweet the results. <laughs> well, they take your phone, so they couldn't even do that. And I think that's why oh, that's a true. lot of, a lot of beer reporters even who are like on deadline for their newspaper, they can't go in there because they have to have something ready to go by the time the pick gets selected. And so they, they can't go be sequestered because they won't get anything in by their deadline. So it is kind of a strange group. There's maybe a handful of national um, media members and a handful of local beat reporters. Um, but yeah, super weird to kind of know before, before the whole world, but not be able to say anything. Cause that's your, your urge is being like, you know, I, I want to tell everybody I got the scoop on who's got Victor. Um, but obviously couldn't share that until everybody else knew um, but it gives you time to sort of start to process the ramifications of this like generational prospect going to a specific team and, you know, the Blazers obviously moved up. What does that mean for the rest of the league and who might they be looking to trade for that number three pick? Um, just all the wheels start to get put in motion, um, as they continue to be over the last you know, two weeks at this point. Um, so it's just been super interesting and yeah, it was a very cool experience. I'm glad I got to go down there. So and you can confirm there's no way it is rigged. There's <laughs> no way it's rigged. Um, they, I think go out of their way to ensure how impossible it would be to rig it. And actually they, they do record it on camera and then post it on the NBA YouTube page after the fact. So if you really think that it is rigged, for the Spurs, go watch the YouTube video and you will see that it would be just simply impossible to to rig that. Well, then people are going to say, well, that's a different video than what actually happened. And that was recorded in some secret. <laughs> but that's why they have the media in there so that they can <laughs> confirm it. <laughs> there's always someone. There's always like a there's loop always around the conspiracy theories. How do we know that's fake? That's a deep fake Will Gottlieb. Like, we don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's crazy but no no super interesting and i, I always the, like just the fact that there are like media members who know these results like even thinking back to like the derrick rose draft like i'm at like i think casey was in the room that year so like the fact that he prop like he knew that like before anyone else is just like insane but yeah super interesting so like even switching gears to the uh nba draft combine which happened uh uh which has already gone down and uh what were your thoughts on just what you got to to witness through the NBA draft combine this year? Like there, there are a lot of really interesting prospects who who were in attendance this year and actually competed. And I think a lot, like more than more than years most, but what were the things that like really stood out to you the most? Well, I was only there for one day and I believe it went four or maybe the whole week. Um, I think it was, it started on Monday. Everybody was off Tuesday for the lottery and then Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I missed uh, Thursday and Friday, but um, really interesting experience just in the sense that the entire NBA is there. So like all the GMs, all the coaches, executives, all those people who run organizations are in one place and they have the GMs meeting and they talk about rule changes um, and sort of just come together and meet to discuss things. And I think that's kind of the most interesting piece of it because number one, the combine is like, you know, this is going to change in the next CBA where, you know, I think you are basically forced to be in the combine um, no matter where you're projected to go in the draft. Now that's not the case. And so you have a handful of guys that are like maybe late first rounders, early second rounders that are trying to improve their draft stock. Um, and then you have a bunch of, you know, late second rounders or undrafted guys hoping to get their name out there. But as an evaluator, you have to sort of balance what you're seeing at the combine with your priors and understanding that, you know, one day of, you know, hot shooting in a scrimmage doesn't necessarily change a full season or two seasons or three seasons of college ball where you didn't shoot the ball well. And so you, you do have to balance those things. And obviously guys can improve. Um, the measurables are always interesting, but who knows actually how valuable any of that stuff is. So it's, 
you know, it, I think it's just sort of um, another opportunity for teams to start to accumulate information and data. Obviously they can meet with some of the prospects and have interviews, but even then, you know, they're having the same meetings with all of these other teams. They have been trained in, you know, media and PR to say what their agents and their management wants them to say. So even that information isn't necessarily useful to the teams, but I think it's more just about um, all those teams coming together and uh, being in the same place as one of the few times in the NBA calendar where that happens. Right, so, you know, you mentioned you saw, obviously, like, none of the big players showed up there, but you saw a bunch of maybe a few, not a bunch, maybe a few late first-rounders and second-rounders. Uh, did anyone stick out to you that maybe you hadn't thought about before uh, that looked interesting on some of the things they were, you know, working on? Or um, I think a lot of times, you know, they're doing some side stuff to kind of, um, kind of uh, show off their skills for all the executives there, did, did anything, any, any individuals stick out to you there? As far as like mid to late first rounders, I don't really think so. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of who even participated. It was like Turquavion Smith, um, Gigi Jackson, who I think was pretty underwhelming for a lot of the teams didn't necessarily interview that well and looked sort of out of shape, but was apparently sick at the combine. Um, he did not perform super well. Brandon Pajemski from Santa Clara. He was, he was solid. He, um, I think he probably boosted himself into like early second, late first contention. Um, I'm trying to think of who else, but Andre Jackson from UConn, I thought he was kind of interesting. He cannot shoot at all, but he just kind of makes plays on defense and gets tips and gets out in transition. So he's uh, one of those athletes that I think could make an impact at the next level. Um, Amari Bailey. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Amari Bailey was, I think, really the guy that stood out to most, though. He was a highly touted prospect in high school went to UCLA and did not play that well. Um, but there, it looked very much in command as the point guard in some of these um, scrimmages against some of the other teams and was scoring the ball. Well, he's pretty small. Um, I think he measured at like six, three um, with a pretty decent wingspan of six, seven, but he's slight. He's like 190 pounds. So he kind of got bullied around a little bit when he would drive. But for the most part, I thought he was, probably the most interesting of just the one day that I saw um, scrimmaging. Did you like have any like, oh, oh, No, I'm just saying, like, I know we had, uh, actually, go ahead. I, my, my question will kind of direct our conversation away from the combine. Yeah, I was just going to, like, add, did you have anyone, we're talking about, like, who potentially stood out to you at the combine, but, like, do you have, like, any players in mind right now who, like, you, who you're pretty high on, like, really at any part of the draft. So let's say late first or like any second round or like any players right now that you you're probably the highest on right now. So this is a really interesting draft for me. Obviously you've got like tier one, number one, who's far and away better than anybody else. Victor, obviously. Um, And then you've got this second tier, which honestly I would only put Scoot Henderson in. I think he stands above Amen Thompson and Brandon Miller, who are probably in that third tier. Um, I think five through eight is really interesting where you have Cam Whitmore, Asar Thompson, Amen Thompson's twin brother, uh, Taylor Hendricks and Jairus Walker. I could see that for going in any order. There's like pros and cons to each of them, really interesting things about each of them. Um, And it kind of goes down the list, but like once you get past those eight or nine, everybody doesn't, there's not like anybody that really stands out to me. You're kind of like looking for the things that fit your team because like talent at upside, nobody really separates themselves. Um, so for me, like Leonard Miller is super interesting. Um, he had a really good st- stretch at the end of the G League Ignite season, kind of a strange player rebounder. He's like six, nine, um, not a great shooter at this point, but has improved. And I think can do some interesting, interesting things, handling the ball and, and defensively. He's a guy that I like. Um, Derek Lively just got a bunch of hype around these, uh, pro day shooting where he like made 16 threes in a row after shooting like zero threes at Duke. Um, but I really like him just because he's one of the few centers in this draft. And I think there's sort of this narrative around centers where it's not worth taking them with high picks because you can always get one later, but 
with only one who I think really stands out in this draft, I would not be surprised to see him go in the lottery. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, sort of like a Mark Williams or uh, Walker Kessler last year, where they are kind of outplaying their draft position. Um, and even though you could technically get them later, like if a team wants a big rim rolling center with some shooting potential, they might go after him a little bit earlier. I could see a fit with new Orleans. They've been trying to find that guy who can protect the rim and shoot and be a rim roller next to Zion for a long time. Uh, so I like him a lot. And then, um, who else I'm kind of like going through and, and doing some research on all these guys. And I haven't made a ton of headway. Like I have probably the top 20 or 30, uh, where I feel pretty good about them. And I'm kind of starting to get into the second round now, but there are some, some interesting guys. I think some of them are very one dimensional, like Jordan Hawkins, Jet Howard. Um, some of those guys, Grady Dick, who are like simply just shooters. I think they could struggle on the defensive end. I think they might be liabilities as playmakers or ball movers. Um, so they have their flaws there. Um, and then you've got other guys that, you know, can't shoot at all, but, are good defenders like city Sissoko of the G league Ignite, um, who I think could be really good, but has to improve his shooting and like how important is shooting and how realistic are shooting improvements with some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of an interesting question. I really like, uh, Derek Whitehead as well from Duke. He did not have a good year. Uh, not a great year, I should say, um, with Duke, but another super highly touted prospect who, um, I believe has to undergo another foot surgery Woj reported last week. Um, but really, really dead eye shooter, um, with pretty good size. I think he could be a player. So those are a couple that stand out to me in sort of like the mid teens, late teens, early twenties. Um, but a lot of these guys kind of blend together in terms of their tier and where they could rank against one another. So I think preference does start to become sort of a determining factor. Yeah. So, Looking at this draft, again, obviously the Bulls don't have a pick, um, but there's been conversations. So obviously, like AK and Mark Eversley are out there interviewing all these high prospects. Like they interviewed Brandon Miller, Scoo Henderson, but then you've heard them talk to other, uh, heard rumors of them talking to other players as well. And then there was in the past that conversation that obviously they were going to approach the Blazers or the Blazers, and then might have an open dialogue about something to do with that pick where the to remove the protections of the Blazers can use it to improve the team down the line. And I remember you mentioned to me earlier in the season, or not earlier in the season, probably around like mid after the deadline that the Blazers could potentially offer the, the Bulls a Knicks pick. And then after that, after you mentioned that, it kind of broke out a little bit more because like Sean Hyken came out and said, this is a possibility that the Blazers could offer the Bulls the next pick that to give them the next pick. And that way we can, you know, then give them their pick back for future years. Do you still think that's a possibility of something like that going down? Because like that kind of, and obviously there's other rumors too about trades for that third pick and stuff like that. But uh to focus on that, the, the 23rd pick or not, do you think that's still a possibility? Because that's kind of seems like the the most silver lining as far as for the Bulls going into this draft to get that third 23rd pick. And maybe you can draft like a kind of a diamond in the rough that kind of fell out of the lottery because of how stacked this draft is. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And first I'll say like, what does it tell you about your team if like the <laughs> – the most exciting possibility is maybe being able to squeeze a late first round pick out of another team, uh, due to a protection. Um, it's just depressing out here. Well, we're searching, we're searching for things (laughs) in the bottom of the bag, man. (laughs) Exactly. Um, but it does make sense. I wonder how the Blazers moving up from five to three in the lottery affects this because, I do think there's a world where they could package Anthony Simons and that third pick and get the caliber of player they're looking for without having to add additional future first round picks. Um, So that might weaken the bulls leverage um, and ability to get something because if you're the blazers right now, you know, you want to be able to compete with Damian Lillard. You've got some good young players that you could package together 
but obviously are restricted with the ability to trade future first round picks due to the fact that they owe the bulls a lottery protected pick that rolls over year after year until 2028. Um, so I wonder how much that affects it. You know, we'll see what the market looks like. Obviously, you know, there was that John Hollinger piece last week talking about how teams are just either unwilling or unable to trade multiple first round picks into the future anymore because they're starting to see kind of these teams having to pay the piper with, you know, the Timberwolves trading for Gobert. Now they've got like no avenues to improve. The Hawks trading for DeJounte Murray, it becomes very difficult to add talent um, to a team that really needs it. And I think the Cavs are another great example where the trade itself probably worked out better than any of the other ones in terms of Donovan Mitchell being as good as Donovan Mitchell has ever been with the Cavs. But you also see that they really struggle on the wing. They don't really have any option at the three who can both defend and shoot. And there's really not a lot of ways for them to do that. I mean, they're going to have to get really good at scouting in um, the alternating years where they do have their pick. Uh, maybe they can package together like Karis LaVert and Isaac Okoro or something, but how interested our team's going to be in those guys. So it, it becomes really difficult to make those moves. And I think if you're a team that has a star player who is potentially thinking about moving them, like the Bulls, for example, are you going to just go out and be the first team after this wave of like three or four future first round picks coming back that doesn't get that package. Like if I'm AK and I'm trying to deal Zach, how am I going to go to ownership and say, well, we got one first round pick this year and a young player for Zach when the Cavs gave up four picks for Donovan Mitchell, when the Hawks gave up four picks for DeJounte Murray, when the Timberwolves gave up five picks for Rudy Gobert. Like it's a very tough sell and I wonder who's going to be the first that sort of bites on one of these deals and changes the the marketplace in terms of the asking price for a lot of these stars. So in that sense, um, maybe the options are limited for the Blazers to be able to go and get somebody for just the third pick, um, you know, depending on who's there. Like if Scoot Henderson falls to three, I think that changes the conversation because he could be that franchise cornerstone that teams are looking for to replace their star. Um, but if he's not there, I wonder is three where you can take like a men Thompson or Brandon Miller as valuable to some of these teams to where you know, the wizards might want to trade Bradley Beal, um, or the bulls trade Zach Levine or, um, you know, who insert X star here. So I, I do think it changes things. I think maybe they're able to get sort of a tier below star caliber player for just three and Simon's. Um, but is that going to be satiating for Dame? Is that going to be what he needs? Or maybe they trade that package, but then want to go out and get another star player where they do want to trade their future firsts in order to get that guy. And maybe that's where the Bulls do start to have some leverage. But I would, I would imagine that none of this happens until draft night when the Blazers know, one, who is going to be there at three when they're drafting, because that does change the calculus. And two, um, to see if any of these other dominoes start to fall and sort of reset the marketplace to understand how much, what's the asking price. Um, or if, you know, if I'm Toronto and I see my guy is there at three, then maybe I am more willing to trade OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam. So I think it, it's going to happen on draft night. If it does happen at all, um, maybe after that, but certainly not before, um, but again, that that's going to impact the Bulls' leverage and what they are able to get out of that draft pick, if anything. I want to. Yeah, I think like it's, it's interesting to think about Zach Levine because obviously there's a lot of conversation going on on draft, on Twitter in general, uh, and then there's been some articles talking about you know Zach being traded for the third pick, um, and then there's like a variation of different type of things involved. And I started thinking to myself, like you know, while I think. Zach is at a certain level and he does have this certain level of value. I, I also started thinking, it's like, is an NBA team that's looking to trade for Zach lo really looking to give his actual value or are they trying to trade for him as a buy low candidate? Um, when you compare him to guys like, let's say, in, 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 in hindsight, when you're comparing him to guys like Donovan Mitchell or even Rudy Gobert um, and those trade packages, well, obviously the Rudy Gobert trade package has become disastrous 
Uh, but you did mention Donovan Mitchell has kind of, you know, lived up to that trade package. Zach did not have the same success as those guys as far as in the playoffs and, you know, especially with a guy like Donovan Mitchell, he's been kind of known as a playoff performer and kind of lifting his game up and and doing a lot in the playoffs. And obviously you can kind of still get maybe in the Eastern and the Western Conference Finals, he didn't play as well as he did in the second or whatever. But like Zach doesn't really have that reputation. And I'm I've been starting to wonder is like, okay, if a team is gonna start end up giving up three future first round picks, for example, where that's been kind of the conversation, would they really be willing to do that for a guy that Granted, he has he he's capable of of scoring the way Donovan Mitchell is, but he really hasn't proven it when it really matters. Like even when you look at these playing games, he had that one really good game against the uh, Raptors where he was the reason they won, but then against the Heat, he was a big part of the problem. Um, so like I just kind of wonder that. Like at this point, I think if a team is trying to trade for Zach. They aren't trying to do the Bulls a favor. They're, they're probably trying to buy low with him. And then I think maybe that's another problem uh, that AK is probably facing, right? Or am I off there? I think that's certainly part of it. Um, the The salary number, I think, is going to be another one with this new CBA coming in and sort of changing the way teams spend and what they're able to not only trade for guys in terms of aggregating salaries, but how much they're willing to have on the books in the future with this new second apron coming in and being super punitive in terms of um, the way that it affects teams ability to trade future firsts or um, use their mid-level exceptions. It, it becomes really difficult to have these kinds of salaries on your books if you want to be competitive. But at the same time, like if you're willing to pay that price, that's still going to be the best way to get talent. So I do think that this is sort of the last chance for some of these guys to get moved. We'll see how interested in moving some of these teams are, but I do think that like, this might be the last summer where we do start to see those, those future uh, collection of future first round picks being traded out as far as Zach's value probably through no fault of his own, or at least little fault of his own. He hasn't been able to prove to be a high level playoff performer. Like, I'm not sure you, like you can't really blame him for the lack of success um, last year, certainly with playing with the injury. And that was his first and and only playoff series. Um, He's Mm -hmm. been on terrible bulls teams for his entire tenure with Chicago. And he's been on bad wolves teams when he was in Minnesota. Um, but during the regular season, I mean, we saw uh, certainly like the last 50 or so games, Zach playing at as good a level as he has, ever has. So I think with it being sort of a seller's market, as far as few teams being interested in moving their stars, like if Zach's the only guy and teams are desperate to to beat out other teams and outbid other teams to get that talent in there, then he might command a super high price. But if teams don't think he's that guy or don't think he's worth it or don't think that he can be sort of the piece that is part of their big three or is, you know, going to push them over the top to become real contenders, then he probably won't command that trade package. And if he doesn't, to your point, like how, how willing and able is AK going to be to actually pull the trigger? Because I think based on the way that I read his comments after the season, like, he's got to do his due diligence and see what the market is on Zach and Damar, quite frankly, um, both of them. Um, but if it's not a deal that makes sense, that doesn't really like blow him away because he's got to recoup from the Vooch trade and, you know, he's still got a future first round pick out the door. He obviously doesn't want to be a bottom feeder and it sounds like ownership doesn't want to either. Like this is a, a big decision to actually pull the trigger on this. And I think it's easy for us on the outside to sit here and say, that's the best move. Um, even though I think it is, but if you're not getting that right package, then it just becomes a hard thing to, to be that first team that gets less than everybody else did for their star. Um, but part of it could just be, Oh, sorry. Part, part of it could just be that Zach isn't as good. It doesn't command um, or teams are worried about his injury history or, or the contract that he's on. So it's just going to be interesting. Um, there's so many factors, but I do think this could be one of the last opportunities the bulls have to get a really big time deal that could sort of set them up for the future. 
Yeah. Like I guess I was saying the Knicks kind of seemed like the best opportunity <sighs> for that type of deal just because they kind of had like that bot in the second. Um, they might be more willing to do something where they add to Jalen Brunson and and Julius Randle, or I'm not sure what their long-term plan is with Julius Randle, but I don't know. Like I said, I, I just like while I while I feel like Zach's value is like there. I just kind of I started trying to think like as other teams and like you mentioned that John Hollinger article is like would teams be willing to at this point like I, I get that I the way I feel is certainly can be a different than how an NBA team would feel like trying to trade for a guy like Zach who like I said I, I feel like they would be I just feel like they would be more interested in trying to buy low on him um, as opposed to trying to say okay well you know we'll go ahead and play, pay the premium price that the Bulls are asking for. So, yeah, I'll just – those are the thoughts that I was thinking the last, you know, couple of weeks when I was watching a lot of dialogue happen with uh, what the Bulls can do and what the Bulls should do and things like that. Yeah, it it, it seems like it's just a really tricky line to, to tote with if, – if the Bulls' ownership don't want – if they don't want a team that's going to, like, be a bottom feeder and rebuild, then you're essentially saying, all right, we need a mix of draft picks and at least somewhat promising young talent in order to move off Zach. But is that even like a realistic expectation that they can get that type of haul given what the market has really put out? Because if you just trade Zach for like a filler contract and a lot of draft picks, uh, like let's see, say you even get like three to four, like, first rounders or like pick swaps or whatever like that. Is that still like a, a great deal that's really going to like be what ownership wants ultimately? Like, so, I mean, is, is that really just like kind of the expectation that they would need to get like some pretty solid young players and draft picks that could really be able to at least improve or not improve the team, but at least give the team somewhat of a decent base right now to build upon. And then they can add those picks later to the mix. I am not reporting that, but I think that makes sense to me. Um, I, on the one hand, like you don't just give Zach away just to give him away, but you also kind of understand where this group is headed. And honestly, I mean, they're kind of headed towards this, a, a rebuild longer term regardless. And that could or not include, that could include or not include Zach, um, depending on, you know, what direction the Bulls want to go. Like, I think in a lot of ways, Zach is the best trade asset they have, but he's also the best like building block that they have because of DeMar's age. Um, obviously, Vooch is unrestricted, and we haven't really seen that kind of growth from Patrick or Kobe or Ayo or Dalen Terry yet. Um, so without any of those future building blocks, I think the Bulls would need to get those future building blocks in order to feel comfortable making a move for Zach. DeMar, maybe a little bit different, expiring, 34 years old. Um, I... I think he probably makes more sense as the one to move just because there are win now teams that are going to be ready. And I don't think you get the same kind of package for him just given his age, but um, you can still get something and sort of retool and sort of um, reorient this team around Zach, which I think probably is the most likely of the rebuild scenarios. So that could be the case. Um, but also like all first round picks are not created equal. You have like protections you got to deal with. Uh, you've got, you know, how you, you have to sort of make a bet against the team that you're selling your star to that they won't perform at a high enough level that to where you do get valuable first round picks. Cause you know, four picks in the twenties for Zach is like, it's nice, but is that really what you want to do? I mean, to me, that's just like selling for the sake of selling. And I think that's how you end up in a Jimmy Butler situation. Uh, which I think the Bulls kind of need to avoid. So I think value is going to be key. Um, but you also have to, like I said, look at the marketplace, look at the timing with this new CBA coming in, look at what other teams are out there and offering. It's going to be really interesting. And I I kind of doubt they move Zach Levine. I think if anybody, it's going to be Damar and obviously Vooch's free agency will affect all of this. But uh, yeah, I, I think when you are making these decisions, like value has to be, priority number one and if they can't get value then i think you're kind of in the position where the bulls are in and so the fact that they're still in this position tells me that there hasn't been that kind of offer out there for zach and maybe there won't be so i think that sort of changes the calculus for the bulls because as you guys said and and i think 
is common conception at this point that they don't want to bottom out. They want to be competitive. Um, even if they do reorient. What's a, what's like a realistic, if, if you just had to guess, like what's a realistic return for DeMar DeRozan? Like, is that, could you get like a decent, like veteran and maybe a first for DeRozan who's still like a capable, I mean, on expiring deal, like 33 years old, 34 years old, but still a 20 point per game score either way on whichever team and should be at least for the next few years. Like is, I don't want to like throw out like a certain player, but it's like a younger veteran and somewhat of a, like a protected first. I don't know. Is that something that's realistic? I think so. I mean, DeMar is one of the most respected players in the league. His um, relationship with the young guys on the bulls, his mentorship and the way that he has um, reinvigorated this franchise from a mentorship and leadership standpoint I think is pretty common knowledge around the rest of the league. And so if you're a younger team like the Pistons or the Rockets, uh, some of these teams that are sort of that have been bad the last few years and are reportedly interested in uh, acquiring some older vets and sort of star players that can help kickstart their rebuilds. I could see a team like that being interested in DeMar. He's obviously making a lot less money than Zach. And so it's more palatable in that sense Um, And then maybe you extend him for two years after that and sort of have this period where you're rebuilding, you're growing your young talent while also being competitive around, you know, a a really high level shot creator and shot maker um, that can also be a really good mentor. And I think that's kind of what the Bulls plan was. So we'll see if another team kind of jumps in on that. But again, if you're the Bulls and you give up a future first round pick and two seconds to get Damar as a free agent, obviously it was a sign and trade, but like he was a free agent. You kind of want to recoup some of that value. Obviously these two years that you've had him are valuable, but you want to get that first round pick back. You want to get a young player. Um, so we'll, we'll just kind of see, but I think ultimately a lot of these teams, like we just have to see what the market is. So they're going to be bidding against each other and with assets and young players, there could be a decent package that comes back. So I, I haven't really heard much as far as like the Rockets or Pistons um, being interested in DeMar, but I could totally see that being a fit. And both of those teams have some good players and a high draft pick in this year's draft that, you know, maybe the Bulls attach another player that can help them or something to juice the wheels. But um, I think those could be interesting trade partners. If I... I don't, I don't know how contracts would work, but like I was thinking like at all possibility that Dallas could give the 10th pick for DeMar or is that like way too unreasonable to expect? Um, I don't know about DeMar's fit in Dallas. I think that might be a little bit clashing with Luca because they sure. both need the ball so much. Uh, I just think about but I think in Dallas terms of being value, desperate. Yeah, they, they're definitely one of those teams and that's kind of where you're going to have to operate from is like – Desperation. I think that's why that's kind of how the Bulls got in this situation, right? Like they were desperate right. to not be that bottom level team drafting seventh year after year. They were desperate to get out of that situation. I think that's why they did overpay for guys like Tamar and Vooch. Um, so we'll see. Um, I think that could work and and maybe Luca is pushing for it and that sort of changes things. Um, but I, I think that that value does make sense to me because like I said, there's sort of to me a drop off after eight where the players there, they could be some good players, but I think in terms of their upside, the, the caliber of upsides sort of falls off. So maybe teams are more willing to trade, but a lot of these teams, like they either have multiple first they've collected like the magic have obviously the bulls pick at 11, their own pick at six. They've got a future pick from Denver. Um, at some point, these teams are going to have to consolidate, and and hopefully, the Bulls can jump at the opportunity if they're willing to. Um, because I think there's so obviously, like the Bulls were not good this year. Like I don't think it would be that crazy to believe they could be similar level to what they are this year with you know a player who's like quote unquote lesser than Demar. Um, yeah. So that would sort of set them up better for the future while also keeping them relatively competitive. If you still have Zach and kind of want to build that way, because at the end of the day, they were 12th until the rest of the league stopped trying and they climbed up into 10th. 
there's obviously talent there. And like, if you want to win a play in game, you probably need DeMar to be that guy. But um, at the end of the day, like it's AK's job to also be looking at the future. So I think that's kind of what you have to do at this point. It, it feels almost like, like I, I don't really have any expectations for what this offseason is going to be, but I, I could see it resulting in a team that's really led by Zach Levine and they're just trying to really improve the sh- like the shooters around him on the team. So really just trying to have a a play style that can compete with a lot more teams because like last year they just were so behind offensively in terms of being able to compete with any team, like any team that got high from three, they were just kind of screwed with. So if they can just add some younger shooters and go from there, maybe like a rim running center to replace Vooch, I, I, I could see that. But like, what, what's your level of optimism based on what you think the direction this team could potentially go in? Because like, you know, we, we've been debating rebuild versus retool and, all, all of these other things, but like you said, it, it probably, it, it seems probable that they're not going to bottom out. So like, like what's your level of optimism for how this off season could potentially look when it's all said and done? Um, Do you just mean like in terms of their ability to how optimistic am I that they will make a move or optimistic that the bulls will be good next year, regardless of whether they make a move, because I think honestly, like the answer to both of those is not super high. Um, like I said, the bulls were in 12th place last year before the magic or, uh, yeah, the magic, the Pacers and the, um, wizards kind of stopped trying for the season and the bulls kind of had that runway to be able to climb into the play in tournament. Um, at the same time, Damar Vooch and Zach played a ton of games. They all played well individually, but the team still really struggled. They also on offense, they also were a top five defense, which like, I, I think that they did some sustainable things, but I would be absolutely stunned if they were a top five defense again next year. So you've got this aging core who does not play well together, despite playing a lot of minutes and despite all playing well individually, you've got a team that has more room for regression on defense. So are they going to be even in the same position they were last year? Like, I think you kind of have to factor that in. Um, also their clutch play was really bad this year. So maybe that balances out and you know they win a few more of those games, but I think you're looking at kind of this, this is the team, right? Like if you're not going to make any changes, I don't see how this team changes. Right. I mean, we've, we've seen it now for two seasons where this is the group, this is what you're going to get from them. And if you're not going to add shooting, if you're not going to, you know, give your young players an opportunity to develop as creators, then you're looking at the group you've been looking at. Um, So I am not super optimistic that the bulls could be better this year if they don't make moves, but I also am not necessarily optimistic that they're going to make moves because they are so committed to this group. And I think they're just in a really tough spot financially and in terms of their draft capital to be able to make moves. It's just going to be really difficult to make big changes without making a big change to your core and and those are tough decisions to make so i think it's going to be a hard thing to do i think it's probably the right thing to do but um like i said before you know it comes down to the marketplace and the bidders and the desperation level Javu of uh ak's uh post-trade presser (laughs) that being in this off season (laughs) the repeat of it yeah i mean i think this was the best opportunity for us to get better (laughs) or something like that I, and look, like, even if they, even if they want to keep things the way that they are, it's going to be hard to bring back everybody who they had last year. Um, if Vooch doesn't take somewhat of a pay cut, you're looking at, you know, Kobe, who's going to want more money. You got to bring back IO somehow. He's going to want more than like the vet minimum. Um, how do you bring back Patrick Beverly without going into the tax? Cause you can't use, um, bird rights to resign him. So you have to give him an exception or part of one. It's just, it's going to be hard to bring back the group that finished 14 and nine that I think they were really proud of and that they felt like they were onto something with. And so that's another factor where it's just like, can you even do it financially um, without starting to go into the luxury tax, which I think we can all safely assume the bulls are not going to do. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even bringing like, like Javante Green is a free agent too. So, I mean, and he was a positive contributor 
at times over the last two years. So it just kind of goes along with your point. But yeah, it's just yeah, the the team overall, it, it definitely seems like it, it's just kind of like ran its course and it's run its course. Yeah, no, for sure. Let, let's so let's wrap up on this. Um this is separately like different from this version of a team, but uh, Scotty Pippen has been in the news a lot uh, recently for a lot of his comments uh, regarding uh, like, I, I think he's been talking about like Mike and just, just having some like wild opinions. So I'm like, what, what's been going on with Scotty? <laughs> I wish I yeah, knew. So, um, <laughs> go ahead. No. Yeah. I mean, I was just saying like, you know, he said he's, he's, he's said a lot of like, off the wall stuff about Jordan um, that I was listening to when, when I found out like he was on, give me the hot sauce. I said, I said, you know, maybe I, I don't know if I want to listen. And then I heard like, he just kind of said a lot of crazy things uh, about Jordan's game. And, and, you know, and it was like, it was like up and down. It was like in one minute, like he's saying that MJ was a terrible player before he got there. And, uh, they weren't before they got, he got there and they started winning. And then he also then puts Jordan in his top five all time. Um, so it's just kind of like, like it just kind of seems like a lot, and a lot of the other things he was going through, it just seems at this point, it's just more than basketball with Pippen at this point. It's like a personal, there's a lot going on. Obviously that whole, the whole situation with Jordan's son dating <laughs> Pippen's ex-wife. I'm okay. sure that's part of it. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was rumors about Scotty asking Jordan to help him financially, supposedly. I don't know if that's accurate or not. And Jordan said no. And there's just been like a buildup. And then the last dance, I'm sure, didn't help. It's just been this whole buildup of bad blood. And Scotty just does not like Jordan anymore. <laughs> I think that's just what it is, really. And that's what's kind of harboring all these things. Like, that's what I feel about it. Like, did, well, did you listen to that? episode i i didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing um and honestly like i just i don't know scotty i've never talked to him i don't know mj i've never talked to him i don't like understand their relationship at all obviously it has soured um but also maybe it was just sour from the beginning and there wasn't as much media and drama around it um i don't know it's hard to really speculate but it's definitely weird and that's that's like all I feel like I can say because it's just I just don't know what's going on. Yeah, it seems like it's always been kind of like a slow build up since they were teammates, and like even in the last dance when and just like different articles that you read when you know it talks about how like Scotty felt like underappreciated, even going back to like you know the contract and like the role he played on the team, and you know it it just seems like over time as we get further and further away from the nineties, it seems like in some ways, like people kind of present Scottie Pippen in a way, like he's almost a punchline. Like Salim, you talked about some of the reasons, but like just this perception of being like the sidekick to this like amazing all time great player. And it just feels like his contributions have been just like lessened as years go on so it almost feels like to me it feels like the core part of this and I, like i'm just speculating too it just feels like he's just genuinely underappreciated like he he's one of the best players ever too like he's a top 50 player of all time and just a complete like one of the best two-way players the nba has ever seen so it just feels like the more jordan's legend grew it just feels like scotty just feels like he's not really getting his flowers and i mean you could definitely make the case that like yo he should get a lot more flowers because he, he was such an important part of the team and he, he held it together. Yeah, I do. It, it is crazy that like, you know, regardless of his, if you agree with what Scotty's saying here or not, and, you know, and obviously most about like 99% Bulls fans will say we disagree because obviously the Jordan factor plays in, but like when you see people, Bulls fans tweet these things about Pippen as far as his playing days and things like, 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 hey, let's not do some revisionist history stuff here. Like, Scotty was, like, he's probably what an all-time top 25 player, at, at least, I would say. Top 25. Probably. Somewhere around that? that. Yeah, like top 25, 50, somewhere around that. Like, I mean, top 40. I like, mean, he's, he's not, obviously he's on the top 75, and he was on the top 50. Yeah. I, I mean – 
I mean, I guess it depends on where you start putting some of the new players in into the equation. Um, so probably, I don't know, like I said, you know, it, it just kind of seems like we're also just, the whole conversation just turned so weird because of it's turned into more emotional based as opposed to factual based. That's what it's turned into. Because obviously Scotty's emotional about the conversation around his playing days and the, just the, the bad blood with him and MJ and the Jordan family probably. And, um, and fans are emotional about obviously protective about Jordan's legacy. Um, especially when it comes to the Jordan versus LeBron was a goat and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's just such a comp- complicated and, and, and unfortunate thing that we're at because, yeah, because I mean, and then you just talk about all time duos like Jordan and Pippen are probably what top three, top two all time duos, too. So it just, crazy to see that has come this far yeah we we need we just need this fight to get squashed man like i was watching like part of the last dance like last week when it was on and it's just like man you, you can you can just tell like the scotty just feels like just eternally slighted by the entire thing like he's he's a great player like we can debate top 25 top 35 45 whatever whatever but like i mean he's, he's one of the best players ever and he did so much from his Bulls team and he should get his flowers. Like, I mean, his jersey is in the Raptors too, you know? So I don't know, like hopefully he gets squashed over time because like this team is too legendary to just have like the core players like beefing like that over whatever personal things or whatever on-court things like were going on at the time. But yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, it's Scott. the epitome of the Bulls. Like former <laughs> players hate each other. They hate the Bulls organization. <laughs> they don't like nothing has got been, you know, it's like tarnishing our memories of that team. Like nothing is good. <laughs> like it's all bad. They all hate each other. Yeah, the, the last dance was supposed to be like this great, great thing. And there was more backlash, I think. than I mean, fans loved it. But like from the players, it seemed like there was more backlash than like, oh, yeah, like this was this amazing thing that summed up what that team was. But. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it gets better though. But Will, thank you so much, man, for uh for dropping by and, and giving us your thoughts, especially on the draft combine and and the lottery. Those were great experiences. Can you let our listeners know, of course, where they can find you at and what you're working on as we approach like kind of like the home stretch of, of draft season over these next couple of weeks? Of course. Yeah. Um, thank you guys again for having me. This is always a blast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at will underscore Gottlieb and all my writing at our website, all chgo.com. Um, I'll be putting some stuff out for the draft just in the event that um, the bulls do make a move to get in there somehow um, as well as other content coming up. Uh, a lot of sort of this more philosophical, bigger picture questions about the direction of the team and what they should do and how they can get there and all that. So um, be on the lookout. And yeah, thanks again for having me on. All right, right on, right on. Salim, you got any final thoughts before we wrap up, man? Yeah, uh, you know, thanks again, obviously, Will. Will is one of the best uh, additions to the Bulls, um, you know, beat reporters covering this team. He brings, I love the inside, obviously, he always brings, he brings a unique look and view of the team that I feel like a lot of times gets, you know, kind of, uh, it's it's needed. Like, especially a lot of the, the on-court um, X's and O's side of the game uh, doesn't get talked about enough. I feel like people don't talk about, like, the modern game the way you want them to. And I think I love that Will brings that side of reporting uh, and it's important. Like I said, people need to enjoy the game of basketball instead of just reporting on like subjective opinions uh, right. of what they think you know, one way or another. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, love having Will on and we'll see what happens as this, you know, we get closer and closer to the off season. Uh, we'll see what happens with the heat. I'm, I'm guessing my guy Jimmy is not going to be going to the finals, but We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm still hoping. I'm saying I'm still hoping, you know, they win game seven and and Jimmy can stomp on Lucky. (laughs) (laughs) You might get a legendary performance out of Jimmy, man. I mean, he he might, he he might come through. He might, he might kind of pull like a a Jordan and like 
in Boston or something like that. I don't know. But. Yeah, quiet before the storm. He's been he's had two bad games in a row essentially. So maybe he's due. Maybe that the will comes out and you know, all of a sudden you see like this 50, 45, 50 point game out of him and he just wills the bull, the heat into a, a win. Who knows? Be crazy. I mean that would happen, man. Boston teams can't get away with this. That that would be the stamp on a Hall of Fame on a Hall of Fame induction right there. Like if he does that, man, that would that would be the rubber stamp on it, man. So yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens in uh in game seven uh tomorrow. But uh that concludes today's Bulls Gold. As always, you can catch our past shows wherever you get your podcasts on the Barroom Network. Thank you again to Will Godley for coming through. For Salim Suda Wild, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.